0: In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I will explore the insights of Drs. Anna Taraway and Conrad Bars. These two Catholic psychiatrists developed an approach to helping people with emotional difficulties using the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I have been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God physically spiritual as my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. The Catholic psychiatrist, Conrad Bars, was born in the Netherlands in 1919. As a young man, his studies in medicine were interrupted when German aggression forced the Netherlands to enter the Second World War. He joined the Nazi resistance in France but was eventually captured attempting to cross the Pyrenees Mountains to flee the country. He was sent to Buchenwald Concentration Camp, where he worked in the camp hospital until he was liberated by the Allies in 1945. Following the war, Bars completed his studies in medicine in, in the United States. But as a young psychiatrist, he became disillusioned with the mainline approach to mental health. On a visit to his home country of the Netherlands, While considering changing his profession, Providence brought him into contact with the work of the Catholic psychiatrist, Anna Taraway, who had begun to develop a model of treatment based on the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas. These insights reinvigorated his career, led him to translate the writings of Dr. Taraway into English, and then continued to develop those thoughts with her in the decades to come. So in this episode, I will be exploring the insights of these two psychiatrists, It'll actually be a two-part series, but before I get into the topic, I wanted to share the work of uh, Dr. Barr's daughter, Dr. Sue Bars. She's been working uh, really extensively to continue to spread her father's work and develop it further, so in the show notes, there'll be uh, links to the Conrad Bars Foundation, the work of Dr. Sue Bars, and also to uh, different recordings and books that you can continue to read to learn more about this topic. The kind of key insights that Drs. Taraway and Bars had about the human person really came by contrasting the classical Catholic view of what the human psyche was, what the human soul was, compared to what at that time was kind of the most widely accepted view in the mental health profession. Really an insight put forth by the famous um, neurologist Sigmund Freud. So in the classical view of the human person, the uh, the soul was understood to have different faculties. And these faculties at top started with the reason. The reason was man's capacity, man's ability to understand the deeper truth of things, the essences of things, the identity of things. It, it, it's really what allows us to know what's beyond the physical, the the identity that's shared between different groupings, but also come to know God and his angels. We also, though, as humans have internal senses and external senses, the external senses of sight, hearing, taste, feeling, smelling. And then we have a collection of internal senses. These are things like our imagination and memory, our, ju- our common sort of base judgment of things, and then the common sense. And the common sense takes all of these various inputs the different external senses along with your memories and imaginings and knits them together into one experience, right? one life world that the person knows. There's another side to the soul, though, too, and these are the appetites. Everything we experience both through our senses and that we know through our reason, we experience an appetite toward, meaning a passion toward, We're either attracted to it or repulsed by it. So everything we see with our senses, we could experience what are called concupiscible appetites or what Dr. Bars likes to call the humane appetites. This is our attraction and repulsion to things, um, the things that correspond to our needs, to our longings, food, sleep, relationships. We also have a sense appetite called the irascible appetite or what Dr. Bars likes to call the assertive appetite. This is our attractions or repulsions toward things that, um, that we either realize are, are, are just or are unjust, things that are good or bad, uh, things like fear. Um, but this, this movement toward or away from something. But the reason also has an appetite, the rational appetite. The rational appetite was what was classically understood as the will. That, that this rational appetite was the source of human free will. So you might think of the human person as actually having sort of three psychic motors, is the term that Dr. Bars likes to use. Psychic motors or, or three, um, three different sort of places. Uh, using a spatial analogy is a little unhelpful because the soul isn't broken up spatially. But three different locus that move us that move us to act, these three different appetites, the sense appetite, which is both the irascible and the concupiscible, and then the rational appetite. So it's important to um, contrast this to the thought of Sigmund Freud. Now, Freud was the father of psychoanalysis, and his model of the psyche included three elements. And these three elements were called the id, the Latin word for the it, this is the unconscious, instinctual desires that the person has. A lot of times, people will use uh, an image of a um, an iceberg to talk about Freud's conception of the psyche. In this, id is on the one side, completely submerged under the water. It's something you're unconscious of. The person also has an ego. This is the Latin word for the eye. This is the rational, conscious part of the brain. So this is what's on the surface on the side of that, uh, that iceberg above the id. But then the person also has a superego. So the superego runs all the way up and down the other side of the iceberg. This is the person's values, morals, or conscience. This is both a conscious part of the human psyche, and it's also unconscious. So in Freud's model... A neuroses, which was kind of an older term for an emotional illness or an emotional disorder, occurs when the id is repressed by the superego. So, um, so when these unconscious instinctual desires that the person has is, are being repressed time and time again by the values of the superego, So one of the approaches of psychoanalysis, the form of counseling that Freud developed, is that the practitioner guides the patient to bring what is unconscious, either because they've rejected something or it's a subconscious drive of the id or the superego into the ego. So you're bringing what's unconscious into your consciousness. And then once you understand what the drive of the id is. you either express that drive you act it out in some way or you change the values of the superego you change the belief structure of the person in order that it's no longer repressed and so this was was freud's approach to how to handle the sort of uh, emotional difficulties that people get into you know so many of us we get to a point in our life where we realize that in spite of our best efforts we're not the person we want to be. That in spite of trying harder, in spite of learning more, we run into this wall where we continue to struggle with some kind of a bad habit or some kind of a behavior, Uh, maybe something with our temper, maybe something in relationships that's destructive. And and so by running into this wall, we realize that there's something else going on. We have to go deeper to overcome this. So this was kind of a generalization of Freud's model of how to approach uh, these issues. Dr. Taraway, after hearing a redemptress professor in Father Dynasty's teaching about how the Freudian model of the psyche was incompatible with the classical understanding, identified the source of repression, not as the superego uh, sort of repressing the id, the desires of the id, but actually as two different passions repressing one another. So let me explain this in a little bit more detail, and then I'm actually going to share some of Barr's writings and and talk about it to go a little bit deeper. So the idea that that there's these these three parts, the id, the superego, the ego, and there's that interaction. So that's Freud's model then this idea that Dr. Taraway realized was it's actually different passions in conflict with one another. So the, the way that the human heart is designed to function in a healthy way is that you have an emotion, you have a passion, an attraction, a repulsion. It might be a concupiscible desire or an irascible. Let's say for the concupiscible, it could be a desire for food. That, that food looks good. Or with the irascible emotion, it might be the experience of anger. Right? Something isn't right, and it causes me to be angry. So in a healthy, well-developed soul, the way that, that we react to that is you, you feel the emotion, you actually experience it, and then you accept the physiological changes that are associated with that. Right? Maybe your face reddens, maybe you experience a quickening of your heart or something like that. But the will then chooses not to act on it, if it's not something that's good for the person, or if it is, if it can be expressed in a healthy way, the will chooses to act on it. And by this, the passions over time slowly come to be brought under the direction of reason, not by a process of coercion, not by a process of force, but really by a, a process of experiencing the feeling in, in its full uh, richness, and then making a choice based on whether or not it's actually good for you. On the other hand, the repression happens when one passion is used to push down another passion. So let's take that, that uh, those two examples of fear or of anger on the one hand and that desire, that attraction toward food on the other hand. So you might have that attraction toward the food in a way that that could be repressed by another passion would be, well, when you have that desire for the food, maybe what you imagine is that what you might look like if you gained weight. right? So then that stimulates another passion. That imagining of that possible future stimulates then the emotion of fear. So then that, that fear then goes and works directly against the attraction toward the food to push it down. To suppress it. And in this, if you, if you have a habitual act of suppressing an emotion, it eventually becomes a repression. And I'll talk a little bit later in the episode about the difference between repression and suppression. Uh, let's take the other example. The other example I, I talked about was anger. Let's say you have this experience of something that you know is unjust or, or somebody has actually harmed you, and so you experience anger. But maybe uh, in your childhood, one of your primary caregivers got angry and violent, right? So you have this, this old association, this sort of young part of yourself that associates anger with this violence. So you you feel this kind of shame whenever you have an experience of anger, right? So now you have this passion of anger with also then this passion of shame, right? This this feeling of shame that that pushes it down that suppresses it, it can cause a repression. Um, So hopefully that illustration kind of gives the contrast between feeling the emotion, experiencing it, and then making a choice that the reason can guide it versus based on the interactions of different passions, one feeling being repressed by another. So let's get into some of Dr. Barr's writings this is a great book. It's called Feeling and Healing Your Emotions. If you want to get started going deeper in this topic, I'd recommend uh, Dr. Sue Bars. She has a, an eight-part lecture series called The Abode of Love. I think it's available on Audible and a few other sources. And that's a great place to start to learn about this. But Dr. Bars wrote this book, Feeling and Healing Your Emotions, in a question-and-answer format for the non-professional audience. So it is a kind of a thicker book, but it's also in language that um, that anyone who has you know, a high school education or, or a college level education can understand. So point one, emotions are psychic motors producing motion and energy that make to make life easier for us. So this is key. These emotions are a psychic motor. It's meant to drive us, to be sort of a fuel that feeds our life. And these emotions, are, in God's design, are actually there to make life easier. They're good. They're a blessing when they're brought um To to the order of of nature and to the order of our reason, um, they're a blessing. Point two, the emotions of our pleasure appetite, or concupiscible appetite, he calls our humane emotions, cause us to be moved. The emotions of our assertive drive, our utilitarian emotions, or what was classically called the irascible appetite, cause us to move, to act, to do. Man's free will is the chief mover. Our emotions need to be subordinated to its direction. So in these two kinds of uh, emotions, these two kinds of passions, the concupiscible passion is really the experience of us being the subject of something that's attracting us to it. So these concupiscible emotions, the, the objects in the world are really acting upon us. And we're experiencing then as a result an attraction or repulsion toward that experience. On the other hand, the irascible emotions are are us acting upon the world around us and either feeling a drive toward that or away from that, an attraction or repulsion to it. Point three, our humane emotions are intimately associated with our intuitive mind. Together they constitute the heart. Our assertive emotions serve primarily our thinking mind. Together they constitute the mind. In the previous episode of Physically Spiritual, I talked a little bit about the distinction between ratio and intellectus. Is this classic uh, model of kind of two ways human reason functions. The The ratio is the reason. It's the going step by step and coming to understand something. The intellectus is more of the contemplation, the beholding something and receiving from what we sense. So what Dr. Bars is saying here is that the uh, these Incupiscible passions, or the humane emotions, are more associated with our intuitive mind. And these together, he, he coins the heart. And these assertive emotions or irascible emotions are more um, more directly related to ratio. And this is sort of the mind description that he gives. Point four. Our thinking mind together with our assertive emotions must operate in the service of our intuitive mind and humane emotions not the other way around. Our mind must function in service of our heart. Our mind must function in service of our heart. So what he's saying here is that oftentimes we might be tempted, sort of get angry about what our humane emotions are doing, to be angry about what we're attracted to, what we're repulsed by, what we feel like doing, what we don't feel like doing. And so what we can use is we can use our assertive emotions or that irascible side to sort of, Beat down our desires, but he's saying it needs to be the other way around. That that our our irascible drive, our 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 passion toward uh, toward what we is really going to drive us to do what needs to happen. That needs to be at service of these humane emotions. Five, he says, all our emotions in their pure state are good and necessary for healthy living. There are no negative or bad emotions. Emotions are neutral, and the catechism of the Catholic Church correlates with this. I'll put the quote in the show notes. Six, emotions are natural tools with specific functions, precisely as our eyes, ears, hearts, lungs, hands are man's tools uh, possessing specific functions. So every one of our emotions is important. Right? You might say, well, I would really like to live a life without anger. But that's like saying, I want to live a life without eyes. Each emotion serves a specific purpose toward our flourishing. There isn't a bad one and there isn't a good one. They're all important, useful, and God-given and blessings. And then the way we utilize them either makes them helpful or unhelpful. Seven. All emotions have a need to be guided by reason and to be allowed to make their particular contribution to healthy living. So we need to guide these feelings by our choices. Eight. Any effort to interfere with the natural function of emotions will have adverse repercussions. Pretty self-explanatory. Nine, every emotion is accompanied by certain physiological changes, which also must be recognized and allowed to be. So every emotion you you have, you're going to have physiological changes. If you see something that looks appetizing, your mouth is going to start watering, and your body actually starts to release insulin into the bloodstream in anticipation of eating that food. Uh, If you... Feel angry at someone, your heart rate's going to escalate. Maybe your cheeks will turn red. If you feel a a kind of arousal or attraction to someone, your body might physically react. So every emotion has a physiological, a physical, a bodily correlate along with it, and these should also be allowed to be. 10. All emotions must be allowed to grow to full capacity and become integrated with and subordinated to reason and will. So emotions grow, they need to be nurtured. There's a development process with the emotions, just like there's a development process with our reason. Oftentimes our world presents emotions as if they're just sort of either there or not there. It's like you either feel your emotions or you don't feel your emotions. It's like turning a light switch on and off. And it's actually much more of a spectrum. It's like a dimmer switch. And what happens is if we have a habit of repressing our emotions, they might be forced into uh, us not being aware of them or not feeling them. And, but the process of, um, of developing and cultivating the emotions is gradual. It's natural. Point 11. Emotions must be cultured, educated, and refined so that they will respond readily to the free will informed by reason. So they need to be cultured, educated, and refined. Emotions aren't just purely good in and of themselves, right? They need to be formed, refined. Uh, We need to engage with the good things of the world, what's true, good, and beautiful, in order to give our emotions what they need to feed them. Then finally, 12. It is not true that every emotion must be expressed or gratified beyond the naturally occurring physiological changes which are part of all emotions. So part of the Freudian model is whether it's a matter of just bringing the desire into the ego and acting out on it, or it's a matter of changing the superego so that the ego finds what's in the id acceptable. Uh, in either case, what doesn't change is the id. What doesn't change is the desire. In the Freudian model, the desire is sort of accepted as a fundamental expression of, of what the, the person wants, what they need, what's good. So the problem is always the ego or the superego. In this classically informed model, we understand that these, um, these emotions can be formed and that sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they're unhelpful. So there are times when they actually shouldn't be expressed. Uh, and, and they can be suppressed but not repressed. And there might be ways to express the emotions which are more helpful than others. Uh, so this is his 12th basic principle of the emotions. So with that, I want to talk a little bit more about the distinction between repression and suppression, because this is really kind of a, a core insight that's really important to get right. A, a repression is the rejection of an emotion or passion by another emotion or passion. So it's uh, it's wanting to push it away, make it not exist. It's an act of almost like obliterating it, or wishing it it it, it didn't it wasn't there. So what happens is if if a emotion is rejected over and over and over and over and over again, that forms a habit in the person. It really becomes a subconscious process or a reflexive reaction. Like every time you get angry, you either just feel it really quick for a little bit and it goes away, or maybe at a certain point you stop even feeling it because of how the body's built a habit toward repressing it. On the other hand an act of suppressing an emotion or right, a suppression so this is a choice to not follow an emotion or passion while the passion is fully experienced and accepted and the accompanying physiological reactions are accepted so this is a conscious action it's a willed action now suppression in and of itself it's not like suppression's good and repression's bad because a repeated suppression again and again and again can lead to form a repressive habit. So that that feeling can't be indefinitely suppressed. So this, um, this choice to not act on emotions that are harmful needs to be met with this kind of educational or growth process by which the, the emotions themselves are refined and formed by the choices of the will. The final concept I want to bring up in today's episode is Dr. Barr's idea of affirmation. Affirmation. When he says affirmation here, don't think of what's often in pop psychology today. The the idea of like affirming yourself. Like I'm going to come up with some really nice phrases or phrases that feel good and I'm going to say them to myself. It isn't affirmation in this sense. When he's talking about affirmation, he's talking about a state of being. So affirmation is not something we do. It's something we receive. I'm not affirming myself with uplifting phrases or anything like this. What what affirmation is, it's the full attention of someone's full being. It's a complete act of giving your presence to another person. It's the capability of someone who is emotionally mature. It's not a technique that can be replicated by effort or simulated by an act of the will. It's a natural expression of someone who has come to emotional maturity and they bestow the gift of their affirming presence on those around them. So to live a life of affirmed living is to live a life where you're choosing to be fully present to what is. Your internal state of affairs, your emotions, your feelings, and also what's out in the world around you. It's a life full of culture, full of the arts, full of what's good, true, and beautiful and then full of meaningful relationships where people are present to one another. And this uh, environment of affirmation is really the environment that a a child's soul is designed to exist in. So in the perfect world, in God's perfect design, sort of what it would have been like if humans would have never sinned, the idea is that mom and dad would have had this posture of affirmation. And so the, the child's emotions are cultured and developed and loved and nurtured in this affirming environment. They they learn to feel all the emotions that are there. It's an environment that's free of, of that unhealthy kind of shame. It's an environment where uh, they make mistakes and then can learn. It's an environment where the parents are fully attentive to the child, not distracted by devices or the different worries and concerns of their life. Um, And this provides a sort of emotional food. Emotional food, the the good thing that our emotional side needs are felt and shared emotions from other people. And then the experience of what is good, true, and beautiful. With that, I'm going to pause. This will be a two part episode. In the second part, we'll revisit some of these basic concepts, but we'll also then get into practicals. What can we actually do in light of these insights? to grow to full emotional maturity. If you want to support what we do at Physically Spiritual or any of the work here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Totus Tuus community. The Totus Tuus community is a group of patrons who for any dollar amount a month support the work of this show. So go over to PhysicallySpiritual.com to join the Totus Tuus community. If you want to have the best experience of all the content here at Awaken Catholic or get a great alternate to social media, and access to much, much more, and the benefits of being a member, a patron of the show, go over to the AwakenApp.io or search for the Awaken App on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awaken Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.